32 pictures in that slideshow, and the only thing funny is me. I don't understand that. Y'all didn't see LP's wedding picture? Now, that was funny. LP's wedding picture was funny. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing? Those are all pictures from the history of our church, and it's, uh, it's wonderful to see. Give me that old-time religion, starting a new sermon series today entitled Old-Time Religion, and today's message is entitled It's Good Enough for Me. Old-Time Religion, Good Enough for Me. Look at those old pictures. It's sort of amazing how things have changed. Did you notice in the old days people wore great big glasses? What were those about? They looked like they're scuba diving or, or something. Great big glasses, polyester. It's so much fun to see. My goodness, the women in the history of our church have been so beautiful. Do you not notice the women? Did you see that picture of the usher sending their blessing, the offering, and there's nobody in the house? That's a full house on Sunday in the day. You gotta understand that. That was a typical Sunday, all those empty pews, that's where we come from. That's Woodburn Baptist Church. Uh, rather interesting to think about. I want you to look at this scripture from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32. This is what the word of God says and it's something I want you to see as we move into this sermon series. Read these words with me. Remember the days of long ago. Think about the generations past. Ask your father and he will inform you. Inquire of your elders and they will tell you. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 32 says, Remember the days of long ago. You've got to recognize that Scripture says that there are things that we must remember. There are things that we must not forget. Very, very important theme in all of Scripture. You must remember certain things. And this verse reminds us that it is the task of the elders, the task of our parents, the task of our grandparents to make sure that certain things are passed on. Remember, we just finished a sermon series entitled Forever Young. We talked to the young people. Now it's time to talk to the older folks. And I want you to understand the very important job you have. You have certain things that you must pass on. The Bible gives you this task. The Bible gives you this role. And you must not neglect your obligation to pass certain things on. Because the very important fact I want you to keep in your mind is that the things that we remember and pass on, these are the things that shape who we are and who we become. The things you remember, the things you pass on, these are the most important things in life and these are the things that shape who we are. With that, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is the scripture that I always use when we're having the Lord's Supper, but we rarely stop and read the whole context, and I want to do that today. I want you to see where these verses hang in the letter that Paul wrote to a real live church in the city of Corinth. And this church was an absolute disaster. Now, they had a lot of good things going for them, but you and I, as we read the book, we've just got to realize that this place was like a circus on Sunday morning when they gathered for worship. And one of the most important disasters going on was every time they gathered for the Lord's Supper. So listen to what Paul writes. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to begin with verse 17. Follow along in your Bible, if you will. Paul has been going through a, a series of questions that the church has asked him or things that he wants to, uh, to uh, explore with the church. And now he comes to the next item, which is the Lord's Supper. Listen, verse 17. In the following instructions, I cannot praise you. For it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. 
Now stop right there. This is the Apostle Paul, and he has just expressed an opinion about your every Sunday morning, and what he says is, looks like to me it does more harm than good. Okay, that's not very good. Verse 18, first, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you. Listen to this. There must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. What's he saying? On the one hand, there's got to be at least one division among you, the division among those of you who are right with God and those of you who aren't. Now, even Paul recognizes that in a church, there are going to be some people right with God and then there are going to be some turkeys in the group, always a few turkeys thrown in. And Paul says that. I understand it's not going to be perfect unity because not everybody's right with God. Let's go on, verse 20. When you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. For I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. Let that hang in your mind for a moment. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you're really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. Now, I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. Verse 23, I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. He's talking about Tradition, tradition. I happen to live with a teenager, which means every day of my life I am reminded that I am an, an old dud. And actually, I'm a pretty cool dad. I, mean, I, I think maybe we could all agree on that. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> because the only person for whom I, I, I am dad would probably have a, a different kind of opinion. He's just a child of, of, of his generation. They have been raised to believe that everything, everything is somehow disposable. Everything runs out. Everything goes flat. Everything eventually expires. The other night we were eating supper and Casey decided we would be healthy so we were all drinking milk out of the jug. Well, drinking milk out of glasses, but the jug was on the table. Uh, the jug was right there on the table facing my son. 
We were drinking, and the milk is good. I love milk. We were, we were downing it. Halfway through my son's glass of milk, he, he noticed the milk carton, the, the jug on the table, and with better eyes than me, he could see from his seat the expiration date. He read it, pushed the milk away, and said, this milk is expired. This milk is expired. I looked at the jug. It, it said May 28th, and I think that was probably, what was it, June 1st? But we were drinking. But we're drinking it. Do you understand my point? We're drinking it. it, it it's okay. And we said, son, it, it says sell by May 28th, not drink by. Uh, we're drinking it. it. It's fine. My son, though, refused. Once he saw the date, it was expired. It was over. It was bad milk just because the expiration date said it was bad milk. Now, who's on my side? Who drinks it no matter what? Who drinks it if it's thick and yellow and comes out in clumps? Yeah, that's what we did in the old days. No, I'm, I'm kidding. No, if it tastes bad, I don't drink it. I, I, I'm not a fool. I'm not going to drink it if it tastes sour, but it was fine. And that's the point I'm making. My son was drinking it like crazy until he saw the date, the expiration date. You realize everything in the world has an expiration date these days. Everything. Turn upside down your can of Mountain Dew. It's got an expiration date. If it's never been open, I promise you, Mountain Dew will be good until Jesus comes. If you don't open it, what can happen? But there's an expiration date. Now, everything expires, especially for the up-and-coming generation. The other day, I was running with my son at Kiriakis Park, and my son said something to me. Actually, he called me a name. He called me High Socks. He called me High Socks. What's he saying to me? He's saying I'm old. Yeah, we know that. But he was also criticizing what I was wearing. He was calling me high socks. Now, you need to understand something, people. I'm not defending myself, but I'm telling you, I had socks that came over my shoe about this far. About this far. These aren't high socks. Let me tell you something, buddy. I got high socks. I got high socks. And I will pull them out, buddy. I will pull them out. If you mess with me, you ain't seen high socks. Do y'all remember high socks? You remember the socks Rick Ripke played basketball in in high school? Pull them all the way up to here with stripes around, and you were awesome, weren't you? Awesome. Tube socks, we called them. They were cool. If I could buy them today, I'd wear them. Those are awesome. Starsky and Hutch wore tube socks. Of course they're cool. But my son calls me high socks. He ain't seen high socks. He's never seen them. But isn't it amazing how young people tend to be very, very obsessed with style, very obsessed with what's in and what's out, and they also have come to recognize that everything seems to go out rather quickly. We're all a little bit like that. Part of it is our culture. Part of it is our society. But part of it is just human nature. We recognize that sort of everything, it seems, and it's not truly everything, but most everything seems to have a shelf life. Nothing lasts forever. Those tube socks you wore in high school, they're no longer popular, no longer what people wear. Just like the flapper your grandmother wore or whatever your grandfather used to wear. I'm telling you, it all comes, it all goes. And we all recognize that. It's part of human life. It's part of living in this world. Everything sort of passes away. Everything goes flat eventually. 
That's why wise people, wise parents and grandparents through the years, the very wisdom of God insist that in our lives as things come and go, as things come on the scene and then pass from the scene, we've got to recognize that there are certain things that we cannot let expire. There are certain things that must never get old. As a matter of fact, there are things so important that we have to make them current in every single generation. You cannot let these things expire. You cannot let these things be forgotten. There are certain things that everybody in all places and all times, every generation, certain things you have to remember. You cannot let these things disappear. And these are the things that we call tradition. There are traditions, and these traditions are valuable. And by these traditions, we pass along the most important things, and we don't let them expire. But we're living in very difficult times because in the days in which we live, people really do believe that nearly everything expires. Kids growing up these days simply don't accept that there are certain things that last and endure and that never, ever change. Young man came to his pastor in order to, to, to see if his pastor would do the wedding. And so he said to the pastor, I know you haven't met my girlfriend yet, but let me tell you something right up front, pastor. We're living together. We're living together, and I understand. I know that you probably have a problem with that because, because I know that when you were younger, that was wrong. Excuse me? Pastor, I, I know that when you were young, it was wrong. Oh, my. Oh, my. Look at the times in which we live. There are certain things that are always wrong. And will always be wrong. And there are certain things that will always be right. And there are certain things that are true. And they were true in the Bible. And they were true for our parents. And they are true for our children. And our children will be in big trouble if they forget the things that they ought to remember. Which brings us to the 11th chapter of Corinthians. Paul is writing to a church. It's one of the early churches. This is one of those moments that you really need to sort of remember. Because every now and then you run into somebody who says, you know, I'm going to start myself a church. I want a church just like the early church. I want to get back to how it was with the early church. I'm telling you, we are always more like the early church than we like to admit. I mean, read Corinthians. This place was a mess. It was an absolute mess. And the biggest mess of all, according to Paul is when they got together for the Lord's Supper. It was a disaster, but they don't even know it. They don't even recognize what the disaster it has become. As a matter of fact, they're probably quite pleased with it, or at least some of them are. You probably need to recognize that in, in, in Corinth, in that church in that day, it looks like they had the Lord's Supper every single Sunday, or every time they got together, they had the Lord's Supper. But, but also recognize that it sounds like they had a full-blown meal with the Lord's Supper. We would call it a potluck. They had a Corinthian potluck. Every time they got together, and then with the meal, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. I know that sounds strange, but remember, Jesus and his disciples, they had the bread and the wine at the Last Supper in the context of a whole meal. So it probably made sense to the Corinthians to have a meal and then also have the bread and the wine. So that's how they celebrated the Lord's Supper. Except they started having problems. They don't even see the problems, but they are problems. 
You see, in the church, you had some people that were better off, and you had some people that were struggling. You had rich and you had poor. And when the rich brought in their casseroles, I mean, their food was glorious. They brought in honey-baked hams. They brought in casseroles in these gorgeous dishes. They brought them piping hot out of the oven. They had been watching Paula Dean all afternoon, and they had Velveeta all up in it. You know what I'm saying? They had amazing, amazing food. And they brought it in, but they realized... That they worked all day long and they bring in this nice food and then there'd be people coming in, poor people that didn't bring nothing. Or maybe they brought in some pigs in a blanket. They just bring in some bologna something, bringing it in, and then they come in and eat up all their food. I didn't appreciate it. They brought that food. They worked hard for that food. And by the time they got through the line, it was already gone or it was cold. They didn't like it. So they started, started coming earlier. It's like you tell everybody that we're all going to meet and eat at 6, but the rich people would come at 5.45 and put their food out, and they would have it all eaten up before the poor people came in. Can you believe that? They would come early. They would try their best to eat their own food so they didn't have to share. And they don't see anything wrong with it. They still call it the Lord's Supper. They really believe that somehow they're honoring Christ and what they're doing. But Paul says, what you're doing does more harm than good. I have nothing good to say to you about the way you do. Paul says, I passed on to you what I also received from the Lord himself. Recognize, Paul starts using the language of tradition. Paul recognizes that the church is in a mess. He also recognizes that the only way to correct them is to bring them back to something they've forgotten. They have to come back to the tradition that they have left. It's a chain of tradition, Paul would say. This comes directly from the Lord himself. I received it from the Lord, and I've passed it on, and I expected that you would have taken it, and then you would have passed it on, but apparently the chain is broken, and that's why you're in such a mess. Understand, we always get messed up when we forget what we should remember. And they have forgotten The tradition. Paul says, I passed on to you exactly what I received. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body. Do this and remember me. And then after supper, he took the cup and and he blessed it. And he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant sealed with my blood. This is my blood. As often as you drink it, remember me. It's about remembering. It's about remembering Jesus. It's about remembering the tradition. It's about keeping something that never, ever is going to expire or go flat. The people have forgotten what they should remember, and their church has become a disaster. Brothers and sisters, the world in which we live in many, many ways has become a disaster. Let's be real honest. Some of you, your family is a disaster. Let's be real honest. Some of you, your marriage is a disaster. 
Nobody knows that. Nobody sees that. In some ways, you don't even recognize it because your family looks just like everybody else's family. Your marriage looks just like everybody else's marriage. You have no reference anywhere, nothing to compare it to because the whole world is sliding on a downhill slope to hell and you're a part of that and don't even recognize the way you're sliding down. You don't even recognize that it's a disaster because you have forgotten what you were supposed to remember. It's, it's tradition. It, it's tradition. Remember the days of long ago, the scripture says. Ask your daddy. Let him tell you about it. Inquire of your elders. Let them inform you. There are things that people used to know that people these days have absolutely forgotten. And it is a disaster. And the only way to bring folks back, the only way to save your marriage is for you to remember some things that people used to know. The only way to fix your children, the only way to get them back on the path is to remember what the path looked like, to remember the tradition that's been passed on. We're forgetting what we should remember. So what are the things that we're supposed to remember? Honestly, we look at the old pictures as we did today. We look at the pictures from our church's history. And there's a wonderful feeling for some of you who were there, some of you who knew those people. But for the rest of us, we just look and think, Lord, my goodness, those people are old. Oh my goodness, look, that church is empty. It's small. That is the ugliest gold carpet I've ever seen. You should have seen the orange wallpaper in the fellowship hall. We'll pull those pictures out next week. It'll leave you running and screaming from this place. I got married in front of that orange wallpaper. I'm glad that some things pass away. Do you understand? I'm glad that some things pass away. Not everything lasts, and honestly, not everything is meant to be preserved. But what are the things? How do we identify the things that we have to remember that are absolutely imperative that we not forget? How do we know what things we pass on? It's simpler than you think, really. From the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' own words here. This is what Jesus says. Read these words with me. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Heaven and earth will disappear. Everything that has to do with this world passes away. Every tradition that you and I establish, it passes away. Nothing lasts forever if it has anything to do with us. But if it has anything to do with God, it lasts forever. Heaven and earth will disappear, Jesus says. My words will never disappear. You've got to recognize that the things that belong to God, who God is, his nature, his, his, his characteristics, his holiness, everything that pertains to God, it does not change, it does not go flat, it does not go out of style. Nothing changes with God because he is from all eternity perfect. From all eternity, there's no way to improve. He's not growing, he's not learning, he's not becoming more powerful, nor is he losing any power. God is from all eternity God. He does not change. And that means everything pertaining to him, it endures, it lasts forever through every generation. What God says, it does not change. What God does, it does not change. The things of God are the things that we must remember and pass on. We cannot let our children forget. We cannot ourselves forget who God is. 
We cannot forget what God says. We cannot forget what God does. The scripture says that there's a certain sort of exchange that should be very normal. It's the exchange described in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Remember the days of long ago. Ask your father. Let him tell you. There's a certain assumption in Scripture that the younger generation will come to the elders and ask. There's a certain expectation in Scripture that when the younger generation comes and asks, that the older generation will have something to tell. I'm talking to the elders now. You're supposed to have something to tell. And what you have to tell the children is not about you. It's not about your glory days. What your children need to hear from you is not about how you used to be a cheerleader in high school and you could do a double backflip and land on your feet. That really doesn't matter. That passes away. Let's see you do it today, Grandma. That's gone. That is very gone. We don't need to hear about how back in the day you could, you could round up your cows and back in the day you could play football and tackle and back in the day you could roof a house in an afternoon. We don't need to know that because, Papa, you can't do that today. Those days are gone. Don't be thinking that the most important things to tell your children are the things that are already gone. What you have to tell your children are about the things of God. Do you know him? Do you know enough about God to have stories to tell? Because those are the stories worth telling. Tell your children how God has shown himself to you through his word. And they'll believe you if they've ever seen you with the Bible. If they've seen you living out the Bible, they'll want to hear all you know about it. Do you have anything to tell? Tell your children about how God has rescued you in your times of trouble. Tell your children the stories of God's power, the stories of God's love and God's mercy. Tell your children about the days when God's mercy completely rewrote your life. I mean, those are the stories worth telling. And the scriptures say that's supposed to be normal. In other words, children should look at the generation that's passing, should look at the grandparents, the parents, and they should want to know some things. They should look at your life, and just by looking at you know that dude's got some stories to tell. That woman knows something that I want to know. Because most everything in our lives just pass away. Our lives pass away so quickly. Most everything we see, everything we touch, it expires, it goes flat. There are some things that we try to preserve with our tradition, certain things that we want people to remember, and so we tell stories, and we celebrate those important days, and we do our best to keep those old things current for the next generation. But even then, some of those traditions will fall flat. Eventually, they will run out as well. But there are certain things, certain things that are eternal, And these are the things of God. And for the most part, they come to us through a chain of tradition, through the Bible itself, a chain of tradition inspired by the Holy Spirit where faithful men and women sit down and write so that we can have the word of God. A chain of tradition, faithful folks who know God and love God and have experienced God and have stories to tell. I just want to warn you. That when you fail to remember the things that you ought to remember, you're heading for disaster. 
The Bible says that there are certain things that you must never forget, certain things that must be passed on. Ask your daddy. Ask your parents. Let them inform you. But you've got to recognize that the only things that truly last, the only traditions that we really must pass on and must never fail are the traditions that pertain to everything about our God. He alone is eternal. He alone never changes. He alone endures through all generations. Those of you who are younger, you are silly to think that the older folks have nothing to tell you they do. In your pride and in your youth, you are heading for disaster. You think you know it all. You think that your parents have nothing worth hearing. You think that they're old fuddy-duddies. You think that Mr. High Socks don't know nothing. I'm telling you that Scripture says, go ask them what they know. Ask them what they know about God. Ask them what they know about life in the Lord. Ask them, let them tell you. And then Mr. High Socks, let me talk to you a second. You got to have something to say. The children are looking to you, all of you elders. You say you've lived through good days. Tell us about them. Not the good days where you looked good. Tell us about the days when you discovered that God alone was good. Those are the traditions worth passing on. Remember the days of long ago, Scripture says. Ask your parents. Inquire of your elders. They've got some things to tell you. It will be a disaster if we forget the things that God says we must remember. Pray with me. God, around this table today, we are truly a family. We have very, very young ones, and we have very, very old ones, and something about Woodburn Baptist Church, we really enjoy being together. I thank you, Lord, for a church with elders, Lord, people who have lived and lived to tell and are willing to tell all of the wonderful things they have seen and learned about you, O oh God. I thank you, Lord, for faithful folks through the years who have passed on healthy biblical traditions. I thank you, Lord, for the young generations who have so eagerly grasped the wisdom of Scripture and of the elders. But God, in this house today, around this table, there are also those who very, very foolishly won't listen. Lord, there are those who want to think that it's a brand new day with brand new rules and a God who no longer cares what we do, a God who no longer interferes in our lives. Lord, I pray that you will bring people back to the traditions of Scripture before disaster strikes. Lord Jesus, there are truly things that we must never forget, things that we must teach one another to remember. Some folks call it old-time religion. Teach us, Lord, Teach us to discover that some things are still good enough for us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to come back to the traditions of truth, the ones that come directly from you, O oh Lord. We pray in your holy name. Amen.